But let's head to 1 Timothy to get started. 1 Timothy is where we're starting. Let me just, as you're getting set and getting materials, let's run through a couple things. Name something you find exciting to shop for. Something that excites you to shop, that people would get excited about shopping for. A new car is going to be up there. A house is going to be up there. A bicycle is not going to be up there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's yours. Uh, anything else that you would find? Ladies? Clothes is going to be up there. Here we go. Nothing is my answer. Okay. Sales, food, computer. People get excited about shopping over food. Okay. House, car, and number one was clothes and shoes. Name a place where people prefer to sit in the back. <laughs> Guess what the number one answer is? Church. Okay. Uh, other places people like to sit in the back. Theaters, somebody said? Funerals. Okay. That's not going to be up there, but it's a good answer. Okay. Anything else? School. Here they go. Airplane. Classroom. Car or limo. Movie theater. Bus. And number one was church. Name a four-letter word that's, some, that's something everyone wants. Cash is going to be up there. Good job. Trip? I don't remember if trip is up there. What's that? Food? It should be up there. Okay. Right about now I could go for it. Yes. What's that? Love is going to be up there. Gold is going to be up there. Let me see what else. Luck, hope, gold, cash, food. And number one, love. There you go. You guys are good. You got that. Name something people split. Wood is going to be there. Check. You like the tab? Okay, at the bill uh, for a restaurant? It's going to be up there. Hairs? Some people, some people do, yes. Some of us do not. Okay. <laughs> Can you think of anything else? Something they split. Hmm. Here we go. The atom. See, we would have thought that right away. You know, that's just off the topic. Bowling pins, pants or clothing, firewood, bills, and food was number one. Name something people chase after. Children's going to be up there. Cars going to be up there. Pets is going to be up there. I don't think, did I say cars? Yeah, I don't know if it's up there. What else? Fortune? Yeah, here we go. Peace. Money, children, bus or taxi, taxi, there's your cars. Love interest, dreams, and number one was dog or pet. Name something people love to do on Sunday mornings. Sit in the back at church is going to be number one. Okay. Sleep, I think it's going to be up there. Sports, okay. Something people love. This is general public. Sleep is going to be there. Clean the house. One person in the whole world wants to clean the house on Sunday morning. Watch a movie, play golf, wash the car. Nothing was more popular than cleaning the house. Sleep in, and number one, one, number one was go to church. Out of California, crowd that was asked. Name reasons why many believers don't pray as much as they should. Reasons why people don't pray as much as they should. This, is ju- this isn't going to have points. This is just us. What's that? Lack of what? Lack of time. 
It's going to be there. It's one of the main. This is taken from a survey just done six months ago in a Christian community. What are the reasons that a number of people, 500 people were polled that claim to be born again? What are the reasons that you would give why you don't pray so much? Lack of time is going to be, I think, the first top answer. Too tired? Okay. What's that? Do it yourself? Okay. Okay. Any other reasons? Yeah, the discipline factor. Here's what they put down. Some said they have, I have to admit, they've left their first love. They find it boring or hard. They lack the discipline to do it. They don't feel worthy of praying before the Lord. They don't know how was one of the uh, top four, uh, four answers. They don't think it works. They don't think it is important, and they don't think they have the time. Interesting the way that the crowd has responded to say, why I don't pray as much. Here are the reasons that was given by these 500 people. Now, the disciples wanted to pray more. So they come to Jesus in Luke chapter 11 when Jesus has finished praying. And he says, teach us to pray. And then he gives them what some of the aspect of what we call the Lord's Prayer is. He is instructing them. And we've talked about it. And we've given you the reasons for it and given you all types of things. But it is really the bottom line. It is such an honor to pray. There's, um, there's a college coach at some of you know about that from North Carolina. Dean Smith, famous coach who won the national championship at times and was just this renowned character. Early in his basketball coaching career, he was on the rise, but he still wasn't this, this nationally known figure in the sports world. And one day, he's up in the shower and he's yeah, cleaning up and all of a sudden his wife says, hey, honey, on the phone, it's Sports Illustrated. They want to talk to you. And he recounted how all of a sudden he was so excited that Sports Illustrated wanted to talk to him. He ran out of the shower with his towel wrapped around him, ran down the stairs, fell down part of the stairs, lost his towel, but went and got the phone. Answered the phone, and the lady at the other end said, we would like to know if you want to renew your, your subscription to Sports Illustrated. And so here he was thinking there was such an honor, and all it was was just you know, renewing the thing. We have such an honor that it's not a trick, it's not something that God's going to laugh at us, and we're not going to do something goofy. We have an honor that we've been invited before the throne of God to come and to talk with him, to discuss our issues, to relay to him our concerns and, and what we would like him to work and how we, we want him to work. So prayer is such an honor and such a privilege that you know, too often we just take it for granted, like we take a lot of things for granted. And so you and I need to be thinking and readjust our thinking that this is an honor to go to prayer. Even, with, for instance, when we have a meditation time early in a service, just to be able to ask God to help us to worship, what an honor, what a privilege to come before the Lord. And so we've been talking about different ideas about prayer, and I want to just really skedaddle through this section and get into Hebrews 11, uh, for where I want to spend most of our time. But we talked last week about the idea of praying for others, and we made these observations just real quickly. In one aspect of prayer, it's not just for ourselves, but it's praying for others. And as we want to pray with or for others, we need to remember that in that, we're not doing it for show. When we talk about praying in a public setting or praying with other people, it's not to make a name for ourselves. It's not to all of a sudden get some people to say, ooh, ah, you really know how to pray. That's not what prayer is about. It's not a, 
It's not showing off. It's not demonstrating our own abilities. But we do know that we're supposed to be praying with others. There was multiple passages that we mentioned last week about how that idea that praying with others, and it happened in the book of Acts, that they got together and they prayed and they found it very, very important and very, very fruitful to be praying at times in a group setting. And so you and I want to be doing that because this praying with others is going to be impacting. It's going to help us. It's going to help others. And it is something that we should be doing even in our homes with our spouses. We should be having that prayer time. Now where we were leaving off last week is praying for others. And we were, uh, made this a question to you last week is, in scriptures, are there any particular groups of people that you are told to be praying for? That it is listed. First Timothy chapter 2 look at the verses. Okay, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we get started this morning. He says, I exhort you therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for which people? Okay, okay, now we have all men. Okay, so in this text, and then he goes on, he says, not just for all men, but then he says there's a second group we should be focusing on, for kings and for all that are in authority. Okay, so now we have that aspect that when we pray, and by the way, the context of this passage, according to, to, to the end of the verse, is dealing with how do, we, how do we function, what should we do when we gather for worship as a group. And so in, in this context, I think what the application is, Okay, in the church setting in particular, when we have prayer, we should be praying for all men, and we should be praying for kings and those in authority. Why? Why and what should we be praying for, according to this passage? Should we be praying for the kings in authority so that they do things that we get rich? Is that what the, the idea is in this text? Okay, is it that we should be praying for kings in authority that we voted for. Okay, again, now kings in authority back in those days, it had nothing to do with elections. But he's telling them to pray for those who are in authority. Why? Why do we pray for all men and for kings in authority? And it goes together. The answer to praying for both groups is listed in the rest of the passage. Okay, why do we pray for all men, and why do we pray for kings and authority? He says in the next verse, okay, as the next phrase, he says, in order that, or why we pray this way, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. What's he mean by that? What is his purpose? So that we never have difficulties? Is that what it is? That we're to pray that everything goes right in everybody's life? There's more to it. Notice the continuation of the thought that we lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have what? All men to do what? To be saved and to come unto the knowledge of what? Okay, so you've got got your main concept here. He's saying that this is the will of God. This is the desire of God. The desire of God is for how many people to be born again? All people, okay? And to grow, not just to be born again, but to be saved and to come in the knowledge of the truth. Discipleship, okay? How does praying for a quiet and peaceable life with all godliness affect the idea of all people getting saved? How do they go hand in hand? Because they do in this text. How does a quiet and peaceable life go together with all people coming to know the truth? Okay, 
Okay, you, you've, you've got two ideas going there that are there in the text. One is that we lead a quiet and peaceable life. Does our, in, in, um, let me rephrase that, get it right, um, where he's saying in the passage that we live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Does our personal godliness and honesty affect the sharing of the gospel with all men? Yes, no? Okay, if we're not living in a, in a godly and honest way, what does that do to the gospel? Okay, does that, does that impact the gospel in a negative way? Okay, does it keep some people from getting saved by looking and saying the hypocrisy? Sure, they can use it it's their, to their disadvantage, but it can be done. How does a quiet and peaceable life affect sharing the gospel as well? And that's what he's praying for. He's praying for in the venue of kings and authorities, how does it work that we should have a quiet and peaceable life? Think back in Bible days. Think in modern days. Do, let me throw this out. We have a lot of things going on in the government right now. The government has a lot of different uh, approaches to tariffs, uh, you know, p- uh, treaties with other com- uh, countries, and I'm, I'm trying to think of the word, um, the agreements that they have for com- commerce. So there's a term for this, and I'm, I'm losing it all of a sudden. The, uh, the idea of the interchange between, let's say, China and the United States. If China gets a bad deal from the United States and gets upset, how might that affect the gospel sharing? Missionaries, yeah. Because what will China do? Okay, can they close the door to Westerners coming in? Yeah, and they do. This is the way it works. And so in that sense that, that okay, does our commerce, does our relationship with other countries keep doors open or close doors even to missions? It does. Does warfare and... Um, and revolt or revolution, does it impact the gospel getting into other countries? It does. In Bible days, what was it that Rome had throughout the Roman Empire that helped to spread the gospel? Okay, they had a road system. They had a commercial system. There was also a universal tongue. It wasn't Latin, but what was the universal tongue that was given in the New Testament era that helped with the spread of the gospel? It was Greek, okay? The Bible was written in Greek because that was the universal commercial tongue. And as well, Rome had this. They had not only the, the ability, the opportunity with its, with its road system, but they had what was called the Pax Romana. Do you remember what that means? The peace of Rome. That meant Paul could travel anywhere in the empire and he could claim he was a Roman citizen. It made a huge impact. So when we read in context historically of this text, pray for all men, pray for government leaders, it is with the underlying goal of the idea that we would be able to, in those environments, in those countries, be able to have an effective gospel witness. The ultimate goal here is that God's name would be glorified by seeing people get saved. And so he's praying, and he's saying, okay, let's pray for this. Let's pray for that idea within our country that there's civil peace and rest so that we can get the gospel out so the lost can be saved, so there's opportunity to share the gospel. So the ultimate goal is not for we as citizens just to have peace and prosperity and make America great again, which I'm glad that we want to make America great, but make America great again so that it affects our pocketbook. 
make America great again so that we can be gospel witnesses, that we can get the gospel out for the glory of Christ. There's another group of people we pray for. Let's, let's do this speedily. He says, when people revile you and persecute you, bless them and pray for them. Okay, so when people attack, it's the same thing that he says in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, do not do what towards somebody who hurts you. Do not seek revenge, for vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay, and instead, if somebody does you dirty, you're supposed to do what on top of their head? Do you remember, remember the, the phrase that he uses? Heap coals of fire upon their head. Give them something that is going to help them out, that which is going to keep the home fires burning, to give them something that they need. And so in the text, the idea is that we're supposed to, we're supposed to reach out. Now, the Jewish community did say this. We even read this in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which give us an idea of what was it like in Jesus' day when he is ministering to the Jews and telling them, the Jews had this concept, love your neighbors, however, hate your enemies. And they would write that. They would talk about that. And so Jesus is going to respond and just say, basically, what we need to do is we need to respond with praying for those people who irritate us, those people who would attack us, those people who would who would say wrong things about us. Instead of attacking them, bring them before the Lord in prayer. Not in precatory prayer, but pray for them, for God to bless them. Let's do Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, you're close by, and we're going to come, we're going to stay in the epistle. So just go over a couple chapters to your left. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is, pray, is talking about the believer's armor. And then he adds this, as after he talks about the sword of faith, the shield of faith, and the sword of the truth, and the breast plate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. After he gives all that, he says, while, and you may want to mark this in your, in your Bible, in verse 18, put on this armor of God, while is literally the, the understanding, while praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereon to all perseverance and supplication um, for all saints. So once again, he's saying, okay, pray for all saints. Okay, we're supposed to be praying for brothers and sisters in Christ, which Paul did. He prayed for their growth. You read in multiple different epistles, I am praying for you always, in every prayer of mine, in remembrance of you, for your love, for your, uh, for your growth in truth, for your discernment. And so we're supposed to pray. And then he says, if you continue in the text of Ephesians 6, he says, and pray for me. And he says, okay, I need your prayer as a missionary, as a preacher of the word of God. I need you to pray, verse 19 of Ephesians 6, and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. And he goes on and says, this is why I'm in jail. I'm sitting in jail because I made known the gospel, and jail can be intimidating. Jail can be, you know, it can squelch the idea of the fervency, and so pray for me that I would maintain boldness, that I wouldn't be persuaded to become quiet or to give up on giving out the word of God because of the pressures and the problems that I'm facing. So he says in this text that one of the areas we should be praying for are our missionaries, praying for, praying for those individuals. It, it seems so small. That we read in a text and an email this morning. It seems small to say, let's pray for Bruce. But if you have to, let's, let's say this was you. Every year you had to vacate and go and leave the area in order to get the, the permission to live in your house. Would that wear you down in time? Would that get old quickly? Sure, sure. And so we need to pray that, that do sometimes, do sometimes people, 
ministers, missionaries, do they get discouraged by just the pressure of culture, the language and the not knowing the customs and feeling foolish and, and feeling just you know, out of your element? That can wear down. And then you add on top of it the attacks, the accusations, the physical attacks, the incidents, the normal things that you go through, trials and troubles. Then there you're in another land. It's compounded. You need to pray for these individuals. And he says, pray for them. We get another idea. And I asked you last week, do you have any text Can you think of any verse that specifically says or illustrates praying for family? We got Hannah praying for a child that the Lord would give. You have Genesis 12 that God is going to bless Abraham. I'm sorry, it's in uh, chapter 18. That he's going to bless Abraham because he knows Abraham is going to instruct his family. Um, And it happens in a conversation while he's praying. But is there any particular passages that say, pray for the kids, train them up? We know that. Um, We know those ideas. But I think of just a few instances in Scripture where it's illustrated. You have in Proverbs uh, chapter 31, towards the end of the chapter, that the family is rising up and praying and calling her blessed. Okay, you have First Timothy, where he First Thessalonians, excuse me, where he writes and he says, as a father, and he's going on talks about praying for them as a father does. Job, we'll see it this morning in our morning message as we kick off a series on the book of Job. Job spends time on a regular basis praying for his kids. And it's one of the highlights of Job's life and characteristics. So you have some passages that talk about praying for your family, praying for, uh, for members, whether they be your kids or those within, for their not just their salvation, but also their growth, for their godliness, for their, um, for their uh, service for the Lord and their relationships. And so the question has come, do you pray regularly? And it's easy for us to pray when there's problems, when we're having conflicts, but do you pray for your family members regularly? Do you pray for them when everything is going well? There's texts that talk about doing that. And so we have in Ephesians, uh, in Acts chapter 4, there all of a sudden the persecution is starting to come. It's the second round that they're warned, they get beaten. And in Acts chapter 4, they go back and they get the believers together and they say to the Lord, Lord, Thank you for counting us worthy to suffer for you. And they get together and they start praying because their leadership is threatened. There is the idea that, that they realize we're going to have more and more trouble. So they go to prayer and they pray and they pray. And when they get done praying, they didn't ask God to relieve them of all the persecution and all the pressure, but they asked for one thing. They asked that the Lord would give them one thing. Do you remember what it is? And it's Acts 4. It's a, it's a phenomenal story. Maybe flip back there. Just highlight this in your Bible. Underline it. When they are going through trials and troubles as a church body, when they're, when they're being threatened by the Jewish leadership, they pray and they don't ask for relief from the pressures and problems. They don't ask for direction to move out of the area. But rather, it says, being let go in verse 23, they went to their own company, reported all that was said by the chief priests and the elders. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice together in one accord, and they said, Lord, you are God. You have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that, who by your mouth, he talks and quotes some scriptures. And then they say in verse 28, for to do whatsoever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto your servants that with, what do they pray for? Boldness to speak your word. 
by stretching forth thine hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done. And when they had prayed, the place is shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with, what's your Bible say? With boldness. God gave them the boldness to share the word of God. And so that's what they prayed for, and that's what God gives them. He gives them that, uh, that ability and that opportunity to, with unity to go out and to share the word of God, to be a witness as they were, they were called to do. So you have all these different passages that say, okay, let's pray with people. Let's pray together. Now, take advantage of saying, okay, how do we do this? How do we pray regularly? What do we pray for? Do you pray regularly for boldness to share the... Yeah, we often pray for this, and, and it, it's good. I'm not saying it's wrong. We often pray, give me opportunities to share the word. We get a lot of opportunities. That's why I pray for boldness to take the opportunities. And so there you have the, uh, there you have the case where they pray and they ask God, please help. Please help me so that when those people come by and they, they're talking that I would have boldness and I'd have, have the way of sharing my faith, sharing my belief in you. So you have all those aspects. Let's talk about something else. I want to invite you to go to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Hebrews 11, because I really want to get in this text. It is a phenomenal text. It can take weeks and weeks and weeks to really to dig out this passage. But in Hebrews 11, you know the theme of the passage. Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of... What? What do we call it? The Hall of what chapter? The Hall of Faith. Okay, and so it's a, it's a chapter about faith. So let's talk. Prayer and faith are really, really... The, you, you don't pray without faith. Otherwise, you're just doing... If, if you don't have the faith, you're going through ritualistic prayer. You're praying that he condemned that type of, you know, speaking long words. We have to have faith. It is essential. Let, let's set up the scene a little bit, okay? We know that faith is a must for a Christian because without faith, you can't be born again. We, we understand that. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that we, we understand that we're saved. We come to know the Lord through faith. So that's our birthplace. But we need to have faith to please the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 makes it clear that without faith it is impossible to please him. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin. When he's talking about how we make decisions in Romans 14. And how we move forward and even set up our standards in our life. The just shall live by faith is repeated multiple times. Several different times in the Old and New Testament. And it's literally the justified. Okay, those who, have, who are born again shall live by faith. Faith is an essential ingredient to become part of God's family and in our sanctification, in our growth, in our growing up, we need faith. We understand that. It, it is critical. You all know that. And in order to be rewarded by God, to be blessed by God, let's think about answers answer to prayer. We need to believe. We need to have faith. We need to trust the Lord and believe that he is going to be a rewarder. That's all about Hebrews 11. That's what the whole chapter is about. People who were going through difficult times, but they still had faith. They believe God was a rewarder of them that follow after him. And so we understand faith is critical. Let me, let me take, it, take it a different step. Okay, Faith is a must for growing a powerful prayer life. Okay, this is, this is illustrated through multiple passages. Remember the story, uh, and we've talked about a couple times, Jesus comes down the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down and he's talking to the man who had come to the disciples. Jesus with James, John, and Peter were on the Mount. The rest of the disciples were down below at the bottom of the Mount. The man who had a possessed son came and said, Can you disciples of Jesus, he's not here right now, can you, he's still on the Mount, could you cast out the demon, heal my son. And by the way, 
they had already done this. They have cast out demons before. They have healed people, Matthew chapter 10. They had ministered in that region already. So the dad isn't asking them to do something they couldn't do or hadn't done. Let's phrase it that way. They hadn't done in the past. And what happens is when Jesus comes down, the Pharisees have gotten involved. They're attacking the disciples because the disciples couldn't do it. They, they didn't have the ability to cast out the demon to heal the son and now they're being attacked and and the pharisees are saying see this is just something that's a fad it's not real and jesus comes down and he gets involved in the conversation and he defends his disciples but also rebukes them and in the conversation jesus makes comments to his disciples and uh, the ultimate, the end of the story is Jesus casts out the demon, the boy is healed, and the father and everybody are excited about it. And the disciples turn to Jesus and they ask the, the important question, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus makes comments. There's two comments he makes to the disciples at this time that are really, really critical in the story. He says, you do not, you could not, you are unable to because of your unbelief. The unbelief isn't that they're not saved. That's not unbelief in this text because they're already following him. It's just in their growth of faith, they, they weren't exercising faith. It's kind of like Peter. Peter did walk on the water, but then all of a sudden he got overcome by the circumstances and Jesus rebukes him for his lack of faith. And so Jesus, in this comment, in Matthew 17, this is one of the texts where Jesus says to the disciples, if you have faith you can move the mountains. You can say to this mountain, be cast over here, and the mountain will cast. And he says, this, your faith only needs to be the size of a, the smallest seed. Okay, in this text, he's telling the disciples that you need to grow in your faith. You have salvation faith, and you've been following him, but you need to grow more in your faith. That's what's hindering in some of the ministry that you've had at that moment. To the dad, the dad who came... By the way, what's that tell you about the dad? If he came to Jesus and his disciples, what did the dad believe or hope for? He, he, he's assuming they can help him, right? He's heard something. He knows something is going on. He came to them, not the Pharisees that are standing there. He comes to these guys, okay? So he has an element of some belief that something could happen. You guys can help me out. But Jesus says, whoops, let me go back. I did that wrong. Okay. Jesus says, if you, to, to the man, if you have faith, all things are possible. Okay. And so then it concludes, and Jesus says to the disciples, and he ties faith and prayer together. Okay. Because the only way that you could have been able to do this, he said you lack faith, but this can only come out by prayer and fasting. Okay, and so faith, prayer, and fasting all go hand in hand. These guys, though they had done things in the past, they needed growing, maturing, increasing faith. Let's take another story, another account. Okay, Jesus is traveling that last week, the Passion Week. He's headed into Jerusalem. He's headed from Bethany, headed down into Jerusalem, and he stops to get something off of the fig tree. Why does he want to get some fruit off the fig tree? Besides, he's hungry. What, what, what led him to think that he could get something? Okay. What's on, what's on the fig tree? Okay. There, there is, there's not fruit, but there's, the, the leaves are there. There's indication that there should be fruit. 
Okay? There's an indication there should be something there. But there wasn't. It was a tree that had, it was an apple tree that had leaves without apples. Okay? And so he's coming along, he's walking, and he sees that there's no fruit, per se. And what does he do to the tree? I, I have it on the screen. Okay. He curses the fig tree. They go into the city, and when they come back out of the city later in the day, what surprises the disciples? The tree is dead. It died that quickly. And they're like, wow, you spoke to that tree, you cursed the tree, and look at it, it's dead. Whew, that's a surprise to the disciples in that regard. And so he says again at this moment, he says to the disciples, if you have faith, you can move mountains. It's another occasion where he uses that same, and by the way, just to throw this out, it was a common Jewish expression. It wasn't unique to Jesus. You have in other writings of that era that they would use this phrase, you can move mountains, and it had to have, it, it wasn't a physical, literal idea of, say, you know, he'll move. It was an expression that they would use to say, you could do, how would you rephrase that? You could do anything. You can do impossible things. You could do things that would take a lot of labor, would take a lot of people. You could accomplish a lot of things that appear intimidating and impossible. And so it was a euphemism, a phrase, and a, you know, just a, a saying that he used on a couple occasions saying, guys, you need faith. You need faith. These are to believers. These are to his disciples. These are his seminarians that he's been training. And he says that if you have this, all things will be possible. And, and he follows it up. All things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you're going to receive. So he ties prayer in their lack of faith with, uh, with the idea of, okay, you need to have more faith when you pray. And again, we read in Mark the same account, that idea of praying with real, honest, depth, believing faith that goes on. There's another occasion that we read in the epistle that he's talking about having consistent growing faith. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally, and it shall be given to him. But then he goes on, he gives a warning to the readers, and he makes comment, let him ask in faith. This is you and me. Nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like the wind of the seas, you know, tossed to and about, and, you know, contrary. The point is this, that you and I need to be growing in our faith beyond just, okay, I believe and I've been born again. We're to be growing in the sense of trusting God for more and more and believing in him more and more and more and watching and seeing, okay, what we need to do is we need to grow even when we pray to exercise more and more faith, to get out of the boat. And to keep on walking, even in the midst of the difficulties of life. I'm still going to trust you, Lord. I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to follow you. And uh, so he has those passages that talk about, here's another one that talks about prayer, call for the elders, and uh, that they anoint an oil or apply the medications is how I understand that text. And then the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It's not, the, it's not the, you know, the incantation, it's not the application of the oil, but rather it's the prayer, the prayer that's given in faith. And so we have that idea. Here's, here's just to add to it again. Faith is something that every believer can and should be developing an increasing faith, a maturing faith in what God can do. That's, again, we talk about some of these texts, the justified shall live by faith. God has dealt to every man, every believer, that is, a measure of faith, the ability. So faith is not limited to a super-Christian. 
And that's where you and I kind of, we struggle. We say, oh man, so-and-so has so much faith. Uh, how is it that they can have that faith, but I can't? You can. You can. Okay? There's not some, some small group. Oh, well, it's only the females. It's only, you know, the church leadership. It's only a special class of people. No. You can grow and have faith that in your prayer life you can see some amazing things that are happening. Here, let me see if I can, can just get you to think what I'm talking about a little bit more. You have faith. You've already, this morning, what kind of things did you, did you put faith in already today? How so? You turn the key. Okay? You believe that if you turn the key... Okay, what else did you do when you're driving? That was faith. You want to cross a bridge? Okay, well, what are you putting faith in then? The bridge builder. Where else did you exercise faith? On your way to church, you exercise lots of faith. Your brakes, okay? You exercise faith in other people. If you drove any distance, you assumed they were going to do what? They were going to stop at the stop sign so you could go through, or when they're coming facing you as you go down the road, you're, you have faith that they're going to... Stay in their lane, okay? Do you, uh, do you show faith during the course of the week? Oh, by the way, let's, let's go back. What else did you have faith in? Forget the car. What did you do even beforehand? Before then, what did you show faith in? The alarm clock that it would ring? <laughs> okay, that's true. Did, I, I shouldn't ask it this way, but did you clean up this morning? Okay. Did you have faith when you turned that spigot? That some of the, yeah, you, you, you thought water would come, but you really hoped it would be hot water. Okay, so you had faith in that. Some of you ate this morning. Some of you had breakfast. You had faith in that fridge, that stove, that microwave. You had faith that the grocer sold you milk that wasn't curdled. Okay? We, we, we show faith in a lot of things. You know, in vehicles and other drivers and grocery stores. We show faith in restaurants. I mean, seriously, you don't know what they did in that kitchen, right? You don't, you don't want to know. <laughs> we show faith in, in, a, in a variety. You, you assume when you go to the gas station that they're pumping gas that is, you know, good. It's not watered-down gas. You assume that, you know, there's the faith. And somebody says, well, I'll only have faith if I can see it and believe it. You didn't do that today. Some of you had faith in things you could not see. You flipped a light switch. You couldn't see or feel the electricity before you flipped that switch. You didn't want to feel the electricity, okay? But you had faith in it. You have faith in something you can't see. You have faith in family members. You can't see their love or devotion. You can see expressions of it, but you, you don't see, oh, there's the love. Oh, there it is. The love's just flowing out of her. You know, that aura of love, okay? You have faith in individuals. You have faith in this morning. You're, you're exercising faith right now in me. You're exercising faith that says, I am going to speak the truth, okay? Thank you. At least one person is understanding where I'm going, okay? You have faith, you have faith in where you're sitting right now, that it's going to hold you. Okay, and, when, and I mean, I don't think outside of you two, you didn't, nobody else kicked others out of the pew. You know, you two want them to yourself just to be safe. Is that what it is? 
Okay, no, we have faith. We believe. We trust. And so to say, well, this idea of faith is something that's phenomenal. It's almost beyond me. It is not. It is not. It is trusting in. And by the way, why do you have faith in your car? What's that? You take care of it. It happened before. This isn't profound. Why do you believe your car is going to stop when you apply the brake? Because, by the way, some of you have no clue. Some of you understand. You can change brakes. Some of you have no clue what that, how that brake system works. But you know that it works because you've done it in the past. Okay? And so you, you have increasing faith in it. You know, because your experiences with it. There, when people say, well, I won't believe unless... We believe in a lot of things. A lot of times. And so it's a matter of adjusting. What are we believing in? Do you believe there is a God? Do you believe that he can keep his word? Do you believe that this God is always doing the best for you? Always. That he always does the best, even if he takes your loved one in death. Do you believe that even if he gives you cancer, he is doing what's best? You're, you're operating by faith. You're saying, I believe this, I trust that, and I'm going to continue to operate by that faith. And so it's possible to do that. It's possible for you to have faith. It's just where do you put the object of faith in? Do you think that the storms of all of a sudden, that all of a sudden we get ourselves in a storm? We're in the boat, we've got Jesus nearby, he's sound asleep, and we're going and we think by the storm and the sounds and the waves and the thunder and the lightning that we're going to die. So we go to Jesus and we wake him up like the disciples did and said, don't you care that we perish? We act that way sometimes when we act in not faith. And he rebukes them. And he says to them in this story, he says, O ye of little faith. They've been listening to him. They've been obeying him. They followed him. They got in the boat. They went across the sea for a nighttime fishing, not a fishing, but a traveling excursion. But in the middle of it, they got overwhelmed by circumstances. O ye of little faith. Does that ever happen to you? That circumstances, finances, health, issues all can get you to stagger. It happens to a lot of people. It happens to good people. It happens to, to individuals who are even the disciples of Jesus Christ, not just once, but twice. But another boat experience, another storm. Jesus comes walking on the storm. Peter's excited this time. He's got more faith than he did before. He gets out of the boat. He starts walking, begins to sink. And Jesus says to Peter, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Again, Jesus expected more of him. He had done the miracles. He had walked on the water. All of a sudden, Jesus is saying, come on, Peter, you can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. Can you make some observations that are challenging and scary and at the same time real for you and me? It is possible for the same believer to express great faith at times and then and experience incredible results and then all of a sudden revert back to a life of doubt. Even great great feats can be done and all of a sudden that same believer can have a moment to lapse of faith and you and I have to be careful that we don't lapse that we don't let the circumstances overcome it can happen to any of us and it doesn't have to happen Jesus rebukes he doesn't want that it doesn't please him that Peter lapsed he doesn't give up on Peter he doesn't say okay Peter you start sinking I'm done with you 
No, he gets Peter, he takes him back to the boat. He keeps on building in Peter and keeps on working with Peter. But the idea is that we're supposed to be consistently trusting in the God who can do anything and that everything he does is good. Phenomenal thought. Interesting thought. That everything he does is good. That he can do no evil. He does nothing to, nothing to uh, corrupt us but only to help us. That's an amazing situation. So we have to answer this question. Okay, this, this is the pivotal question we need to answer. Okay, we know we need faith. We've exercised faith already. We know that believe, as a believer we're to grow in faith. We know that we can grow and we can probably go backwards. But the question is going to be how do I grow in faith? Where do I go? Okay, we need to stop and just answer the question. What is God-pleasing faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What is it? Is God faith, is it this? Is it a wild leap in the dark? Okay, is it that just says this type of thing? Okay, um, I'm recalling an individual years ago that came through on a, on a, and stopped here for a couple weeks. They had contact with our church. They believed that they were just going to trust God. They needed a vacation. They just got in the car and were driving wherever. It happened to Abraham, so we're going to do it. This was what they told me. We're just driving wherever. They had no plans for the trip, which is okay, okay? But they made no preparations for the trip. When I say no preparations, they made no preparations, such as what are critical things you want to do if you take a trip? Money. They made no preparations for money. They had little kids in the car. They made no preparations for other than the clo- a couple of, uh, changes of clothing. And they were traveling for weeks. And they were having faith in God. Faith in God that God would lead them to other people who would pay their expenses. And that's where they were going. And they were so excited how God was providing for them every place they stopped. God's been providing for us to have this long vacation and the time that we needed. And God's taking care of our every care. And this is a life of faith. And we're so excited. Is that what faith is about? You quitting your job and just going... That's faith. Yes, no. Seriously, do you think that's faith? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. Nobody else will say it. That's mooching. That's presuming upon others. That is, you know, you know where the help came from? The help didn't come necessarily because God is laying it upon our, our hearts to help them. The help came because you feel sorry for the kids. You're trying to help out. That is not faith. When Satan said to Jesus, jump off this pinnacle. Just jump. And if God is really your God, the angels will they'll catch you. That, and, and Jesus rebukes him. That's not faith. That is presumption. That's not biblical faith, folk. It isn't biblical faith to do this. To just say, okay, I just believe, I believe, I believe, I just believe, I believe, I believe. So you see this phenomenal house. It's got everything you've ever wanted. 
everything you've ever dreamed about. It's got a whole wing that you can lock the kids out of. And you can be by yourself and you can just lock the things, the rest of it, and they have to stay indoors. It's got absolutely everything to it. And it's going to cost, let's just throw a wild figure, $1.5 million. And it's what you want. And God says, I will give you the desires of your heart. Therefore, I'm going to have faith in God. I'm going to go. I'm going to sign the papers. I don't make enough money to pay the mortgage. But I'm trusting God because... I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe when the mortgage comes due, keep telling yourself. Okay? That isn't faith. That's stupid. <laughs> Again, you're, you're taking me. It's not just, okay, it's not the idea of, okay, whatever I, what I can do. I, I'm the little train that thinks it can. Okay, I'll just, okay, I have faith, 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 I have faith. You know, that I can do this, I can do this. You can't be operating by faith and going against biblical principles, number one. Okay? Biblical principle says that a man better provide for his own house. You gotta, you gotta have some good stewardship here. You know, and faith is, faith is the idea of just, okay, it's not about me, I'm following his word, his principles, and I'm trusting in him as I follow his word. Now, the big catch is, then, you know, let's summarize. What is faith? God gives us a description of faith. He describes it and gives us almost a fourfold description of faith in Hebrews 11. It's a phenomenal description that I'm going to leave until next Sunday because I just ran out of time. Okay.